The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 300 for Monday, November 23rd, 2010. Observers, Mac Geek Cab. It is show number 300. Yep, we've been doing this for about, what's uh, five and a half years now? Uh, from Durham, New Hampshire, I am Dave Hamilton. Uh, I guess I'll be next. And no, my voice did not change. That was not me introducing the show. But I am Jeff Ron here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And then. That's right. Who's next? How well, about Michael? Well, yeah, this is uh, Michael Johnston from the uh, iPhone Alley. Well, previously iPhone Alley, and uh, now we have communicators. That's right. And for show number 300, we've decided to bring in uh, some of our friends, some of the people that uh, that kind of paved ways for us in different ways uh, throughout our history here and uh, and have just a little celebration, a little party. So as you heard, uh, John and I have brought Michael on. Uh, we have three other people and I, I will go to uh, Ted next. Ted, go ahead and, and please introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Ted Landau, and I am a columnist for the Mac Observer. I do the user-friendly view column. I also um, a editor for contributing editor for Macworld, do bugs and fixes over there, and have done other stuff that I guess we'll talk about as time goes on. <laughs> okay. Adam? Yeah, I'm Adam Christensen. I am from the MacCast podcast, which you can find over at MacCast.com. And uh, yeah, that's me. That's you. All right. And finally, sitting next to me here, as he has been recently... Pilot Pete, I'm back. Four shows in a row now, I think, too. That's that's a record like for you. Like an all-time new record. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks all for right. including me. Cool. So what we figured we would do today, we figured we'd break form, and instead of just doing our normal Q&A thing, which, of course, we will resume with our next show and all of our other shows, and hopefully going on to, say, 500 or 600, who knows how many of these we'll do, uh, I figured we'd, you know, for, for our previous uh, uh hundred milestones. So for show number 100 and number 200, we did trips down memory lane for the first one. John, you and I discussed our computing pass for, uh, for number 200. We discussed all the different ways that we found of getting online and, you know, memory lane is great, but our memory lane has pretty much been, uh, been divulged here. There's, there's not, I'm sure there's mother, other pieces of our memory lane, John, that, uh, that haven't, but Hey, we don't, uh, we, there's pro- that's probably for a good reason. So with that, we figured we'd bring our friends on here and go down memory lane together. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do this in, in sort of reverse chronological order. So I want to start and I'm not sure if it's I think it's going to be Michael, but it might actually be Pete. And I'll, I'll, uh, but we'll start with Michael. Michael, I would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you about. What got you started with Max? What uh, what kind of what led to that? Um, okay, so uh, I kind of grew up as a uh, Windows slash DOS kid. Uh, my dad had an IBM. I think it was like a 486 or something like that in the basement. Uh, did some DOS games. Uh, I was pretty young when I did that. But uh, at some point there was a um, what do you call those giant floppies? How big were those? Five and, five and a quarter. Five and a quarter. No, no, no. Yeah. There's a uh, a game I like to play on the five and a quarter disc. And uh, at some point, you know, my dad always told me not to touch the uh, the actual magnetized part of it. Uh, but at some point, I actually touched it and it stopped working. So I kept trying to run the command and just 
kept running the command and finally it started working. I thought, Hey, I could start figuring this stuff out and, you know, solving problems and whatnot. So that kind of got me on the way uh, to working with computers in general. Uh, I stuck with windows uh, for quite a while till uh, I would say 2005, like September, 2005, when I bought uh, an Indigo iMac 400 megahertz G3. Um, and that was my first Mac. And uh, I actually loaded OS 10, I think Tiger on there was my first big project. And so I was really happy about that. And so that was my first Mac. Cool. All right. Um, I, I think we go to uh, to Pete next. Now, and I'll explain uh, your relation to the show here, Michael, because I did not do that uh, at, at the outset. Anybody that's been listening for any amount of time probably has heard your name. You came to me uh, late one night. I remember I was sitting at my desk. I, cu- I couldn't sleep or whatever. And it was up doing work. I think you were out traveling. No, I, I was actually here in the office, but it, it oh. was a rare opportunity that I was actually here at my desk, you know, at like two in the morning and had iChat open. And and you found me and said, hey, man, uh, I'm a listener to the show. How come you don't do an AAC version, an enhanced version of uh, of your podcast? You really should. And, and my reply was, yeah, I'd love to. But we don't have the time. And you said, well, hey, I've got time. And yeah. uh, and and since then, you've been doing almost every single show with, you know, with the rare exception when schedules collide or, or what what have you. So, yeah, I think for a long time I was doing the chapters on that original uh, Indigo iMac. And, you know, at some point we started using GarageBand to do that. But there was uh, a period where uh, GarageBand wasn't even supporting the podcast chapters. So we were using some kind of third party thing to do that. Right. Uh, but thankfully, it's gotten much easier with GarageBand and uh, I've also gotten newer Macs and stuff. But, yeah, that's how it got started. Cool. All right. Uh, and, and going in chronological order for people that have been using Macs, uh, uh, I think Michael and like I said, Michael and Pete may have have the shortest terms here, but I don't know. So I'm going to go to Pete next and then uh, and then we'll do Adam and Ted. And I believe that's the right order. Uh, and if it's not, well, we're going to find out. So. Uh, Pilot Pete. Yeah, there you go. Well, I was just uh, coming up on uh, four years, I guess, in about January now. And uh, it, at the risk of uh, having to go see a divorce lawyer, I brought a MacBook Pro home because uh, <laughs> it hadn't been six months earlier or so that my wife had gotten a new computer and she was wa- really jonesing for a Mac. And I'm like, you know, we had to give the last one away because I, I just couldn't figure the thing out. And, and uh, so she got a PC because th- that's where my expertise was. And then I started looking and at the capabilities, and I kept, you know, you hear all the lines about, oh, well, you know, they're overpriced. And I'm like, yeah, but the software suite that comes with it, and they're designed to work together. And so I, I bit the bullet and brought one home. Uh, it, was a, it was about February, February, March of 2007. It was the MacBook Pro 15. Um, there's, uh, there's a couple of PCs left in the house, but they're uh, mostly gathering dust. We're a solid Mac family now. All iMacs, MacBooks, MacBook Pros. It's I'll never buy another PC again. It's just <laughs> it, unless unless I'm forced to. But uh, no, I just love it. The technology's worked out really well for me, and uh, there's uh, particularly since the um, the Intel chip, it's it's just been no issue for interoperability with things from work and other other programs and such. So uh, yeah, I'm not looking back. Cool. Uh, and just to give some context on Pete, Pete, you um, you reached out to 
to us, I guess about two years. Is it, have we known each other two Something years? A little, yeah, maybe, a little, probably even a little longer. Maybe, than maybe that. two and a half years ago. Sometime in that first year. Yeah, I'm a kind of a stalker, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, Pete started out as a stalker. He happens to live close, but uh, but he he's a listener to the show and actually started out um, interested in advertising. And you, in fact, did advertise a, a, a travel related right. uh, thing on the show for a little bit. But uh, but we became good friends and our families uh, get together for the holidays. And in fact, we're getting together on Thursday. Right. And uh, so Pete, Pete brought an interesting perspective because he kind of brings the perspective of the listener right to us here. And in real time would remind us of things like, hey, you're you're forgetting this. So Pete was silently here for a lot longer than uh, than many of you may have realized. He, he sat here and listened and kind of, you know, wrote me little handwritten notes or would Skype us in the chat and say, no, 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 you got You're missing something. You're missing something. And then finally, we finally we gave him a mic because. Well, we were sick of him asking for one. There so. you go. And I tried to just try to crack you guys up, you know, much like Tim Conway and Harvey Corman in that's, the old days. You know, that's anything right. I do to get you off your game. <laughs> yeah, we we appreciate that, Pete. We we still appreciate Who's your that, buddy? Pete. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, okay, so that mean that brings us to you, Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I uh, <laughs> my my history is is you know. Background is fighting Macs in the early days, but, but not from a, a PC perspective, but from an Apple perspective. So uh, what was going on when I was a kid was that we had Apple IIEs, or my friends did, actually. And my dad was in marketing and graphics and stuff like that, and he really wanted a Mac. Um, but my thing was, is it wouldn't run any of my games. I had those five and a quarter inch floppies, too, Michael. Um, <laughs> and we had all those games on there and uh, we would program in basic on the 2E and stuff like that. And uh, it was right about the time when uh, Apple was bringing out the 2GS. So I convinced my dad that the 2GS was the perfect hybrid between the Mac and, and, the, and the Apple IIs because it had a desktop, but, you know, it was in color. So it had that advantage over the, and, and it just it went bad from that point forward because because my dad couldn't do anything on it you know we liked it because it, it played our games but you know and then it was running protoss and it was kind of a different system and 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 um it ended up that a few years after that i went to college and i inherited my dad and did end up for work actually getting a mac plus and i inherited his mac plus and so that was sort of my entry into into Macs. And I went to school for uh, graphic design and uh, specifically uh, printing. So I was doing a lot of uh, pre-press and, and publishing and stuff like that. And so I was kind of the hero when I got to college because I had the Mac and, and uh, people would come over and use it. And we do, you know, I, I remember, man, it was amazing doing like page maker stuff on a black and white nine inch screen and, you know, doing like flyers for the theater and, and stuff and running down to, you know, you had to go to like Kinko's or whatever. We had some equipment on campus, you know, uh, rips and raster image processors and stuff like that, but we really couldn't get time on those. But, you know, you'd go down and get the laser writer at the, at the lab or whatever and print out stuff and then do paste ups and send it to the print shop and all that fun stuff. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so, you know, you're just a, if, if anyone out there doesn't know, you know, of course you've been doing Maccast 
longer than we've been doing Mac Geek Gab. And in fact, you were part of the inspiration that that uh, that kind of brought us to do this. It was like, OK, yeah, look, there, there are people interested in this. And, and our first show, which is available in the archives, you can hear was not the format that we typically use. It was more of a. Uh, you know, it wasn't the Q&A format. It was more. All right, let's come up with a topic. Let's talk about the news. And and that was very derivative of of what you were doing at the time, Adam. Um, obviously, we, yep. then, we then sort of branched off from there and and uh, and and everything else is is history. But uh, but so so you were you were definitely part of the, you know, the inspiration for this podcast, along with along with a handful of other podcasters that were doing this before we were um but yeah, uh, not too many before you, though. No, that's <laughs> right. you were you were probably in the same boat that I was when I started where they're just I, I started listening to podcasts and my interest being around Mac and Apple products. I went looking for shows and there just wasn't a lot in those, you know, five, well, almost six years ago now for me. Um, I think I'm coming up on my sixth anniversary in December. So, wow. OK, yeah. So you yep. were six months ahead of us because we the first yep, one was published exactly. in June. Yeah. Yeah. And I think our motivation, Dave, was. You know, because Dave and I, as most of you know, but if you don't, uh, met each other, I think, when I was starting um, college. I don't think quite in high school, but we, we we kept in touch, even though you were bopping around the country and stuff, Dave. And we figured, you know, we talk about Max pretty much on a weekly basis anyway. So why don't we record it and see what happens? Was <laughs> right. I think really the initial thinking. Or, or you, Dave, I think you were like, hey, John, there's this podcast thing. Yeah. Let's try well, it. And it's I- like. Okay. <laughs> I I got into it. Well, so it was two things that got me into podcasts. One was uh, coming home from a dinner, and I don't remember what trade show it was. I did not go to the trade show, but we were living in Connecticut, and I went into uh, to New York City and had dinner. And it was just one of these cast of you know cast of a listers, if you will, dinner. It was it must have been some like pre social media thing. Yeah, Robert Scoble was there, and and you know it was that sort of thing back in 1995, the winter of 95. And I wound up giving Mike Dunn a ride home. Now, Mike Dunn uh, is kind of a behind the scenes player. He works for Hearst Interactive in their M&A department. And and so he he, but he was a real big fan of podcasts. And and so he kept telling me, dude, you got to do one at at the Mac Observer. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, there's a lot of things we got to do at the Mac Observer. We can't do them all right. You know, small staff. And and then we started we planned on moving up here to New Hampshire. So I had a lot of time in the car. And for whatever reason, uh, I started, that's when I really started listening to podcasts was in the, the trips back and forth. And, and, and it was that plus you, once we, like you said, John, you moved out uh, or I, I moved out of Connecticut, right? We met each other in Connecticut. I moved down to Texas and we stayed in touch on the phone, but it was, you know, we were in touch once a month, maybe once every two months. Right. And then when I came back to Connecticut, we were more in touch more often again. In fact, you were coming over every Sunday night and we would watch, I think it was the X-Files together. Right. Yes. Right. Uh. Yeah. And, and so when we were getting ready to move to New Hampshire here, it was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to see John every week anymore. And and then there was this other kind of parallel track of we got to start a podcast at TMO. And and the two just sort of came together in my head. And I thought, well, this is perfect. We'll do this every Sunday night, which is when we used to do it. And we'll just replace this X-Files time that, that we used to use. And, and we'll just do it this way. And and the first one we did in my house in in Connecticut. And, and then we figured out how to do it over Skype and, uh, you know. And and that was that, right? I think. I mean, I think that's that's about how it went. Oh, thank goodness, because that was the one logistical challenges. You know, I'm we're not going to do this on a cell phone, and doing it on a landline, even with the plan, would have. Uh, the, yeah, it wouldn't have been conceivable. So, right. 
we kind of grew up with uh, Skype and how Skype has matured and allowed, you know, like what we're doing now. Right. You know, with all these people here, and I'm still amazed at, at how they pull it off. Sounds great so far. Yeah. 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 Uh, cool. All right. So now, uh, and, and it, it, it's, uh, I, I want to mention, of course, in addition to all of that inspiration, Adam, you now for the past several months, uh, been on board with us here at TMO, helping us with a lot of our technical issues, including helping a lot of our, uh, our podcast listeners, especially our premium subscribers with their, uh, with, you know, the sort of the backend stuff, but the, the new design yep. you see at TMO uh, on the homepage there, that Adam coded all of that and, and, and most of the design concepts were his too. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to, uh, to Adam for a lot of the great things that you see and don't see, uh, here at, at TMO and, and the Mac Geek Cab and, and kind of everything behind the scenes. So our, our, ha- my hat certainly is off to you. <laughs> Thank you. It's been fun, been fun being on, on, on board. Um, cool. It's a great crew over there. Cool. Or here now, I guess I should say over here. That's right. <laughs> All right, Ted, that brings us to you. And, and I, it's, uh, it's possible that you've been using computers longer than, uh, or at least as long as John and I, if not longer. So, uh, so there you go. That's your introduction. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, yeah, I probably have, I, I don't know how far back you want to go, but I certainly been using computers before the Macintosh uh, even existed. Uh, my first programmable device actually was a Hewlett Packard uh, calculator, programmable calculator, which uh, cured my wife's insomnia problem when I used to talk about it at night. So oh, look at this, this is so cool. I said, great, keep going. And then she'd be asleep and didn't do, didn't do wonders for our sex life either, but I learned a lot about programming. Uh, I had a, I had a Radio Shack a notebook computer, uh, one of them called notebooks back then, but the thing that you could actually walk around with. Uh, I, I used to visit computer stores back when there were stores just devoted to computers and look at the Commodore PET and the Atari. And eventually, uh, the university where I worked in my other life, I was a university professor. Uh, our, our department settled on Apple II computers. And at some point after using the Apple II for a while, I was getting to the point where the prices were coming down, where I was going to buy my first computer for my for my home. And the Apple IIe had just come out, which was exciting because you could type in lowercase text for the first time on an Apple. And the IBM PC had had, had just come out, and, and that disastrous IBM PC Junior was on the verge of coming out. And and swirling around all this uh, were rumors that there that there was going to be this Macintosh computer from Apple. And so before I plunked down my couple of thousand dollars, I decided uh, I'd give uh, I'd wait to see what the Macintosh was. And so uh, in January, when the Macintosh came out, I I hoofed it over to whatever computer store it was Rainbow Computers or something and took a look at the Mac. And it was like I must have had a genetic predisposition that emerged at that point to, to like Macintoshes because I saw it and I immediately said, "This is it. This this uh, the the mouse, the graphical interface, the the fonts that you could see on the screen uh, in, in w- without having to wait to see how they look when you printed them out. Everything they for the the, the new 3.5 inch floppy disk. Everything about. It, I said, "This is where computing is going." I'm getting on board. I bought a Macintosh that day and haven't looked back since. And no matter what happened in the with PCs after that, I, I just remain committed to the Mac. I never gave PCs a thought. In fact, the lowest point I mean, was back in the mid '90s when when Apple was having all you know the near bankruptcy problems before Steve Jobs came back, uh, and I was looking for a new book to write. And I decided I'd write a book about uh, the internet uh, and and various aspects of of you know web browsers and so on, which was all pretty new at that point. 
<laughs> and my publisher said, okay, well, if you're going to write it, don't just make it about the Mac. Make it about Mac and, and Windows, too, because, you know, <laughs> the implication was if you make it about Mac, no one, no one will buy the book at this point. Uh, so I said, okay, and I wound up buying a gateway computer and, and working with it for a while. And after about six months, I said, forget it. I can't do this book if I have to do it on, on PCs. I just cannot work with them. And uh, it just it was clear from, from day one that I was going to be a Mac person all the way, and that's the way it stayed. That's great. So, okay, so you had a PC first and then an Apple II and, and then a Mac. Was that right? No, I never really had a PC. I had the, the closest I had to the PC was the Radio Shack thing, which I think I actually had after I, I uh, had the Mac. It was all around the same time and got okay. the timeline confused. But my first, the first computer that I, that I actually they had in my house was a Macintosh. Oh. Uh, I, I, I wound up, uh, I mean, I worked with Apple IIs and IIs in the university uh, where I worked. So uh, they were, they were, I had one in my office and so on. But the first one I actually bought for home use was a Macintosh. And I bought it, like I said, actually, I wound up buying it. They had a university discount. So I could, I could get it for like 50% off. And so I bought it uh, the day that they came out. But um, because of the university discount, you didn't get priority, I guess. And so you didn't get it that day. You placed the order and then you had to wait about three months before you could actually take it home. Right. And so I would just be counting the days for that three month period to go by. And, and then finally three months after, so it must've been about like April that I actually brought, brought the Macintosh home. And, uh, and I still remember that was, that was back when it still only had a single disc drive. And if you wanted to transfer something from one disc to another, you had to keep doing that popping one disc out and putting the other disc in. I mean, it was really pretty rudimentary. And people who had PCs laughed at things like that. But I, I laughed back and said, you know, this is this is going to be better in the end. And I think I was right. I, I think you were right. Yeah. What are we mm-hmm. up to? A 20% market share now on, mm-hmm. on new sales anyway. So Well, and, and, mar- and even market share aside, uh, the fact is that the PCs are like Macs today. You know, they used to laugh at uh, called a mouse a toy and and the whole interface idea silly. But really, Windows is is what what the Mac was back then. Right. And, and you know, I was in the university bookstore yesterday, and there aren't any PCs for sale in there. Really? They're, they're just Macs on on the open table. I mean, they might have some on the shelf somewhere, but the only thing available for demonstration were all the all the MacBook Pros, the MacBook Air. Isn't and that something? Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah, we, we did. And Ted, you, Ted and or Adam, you may have been on this podcast with me, but uh, with one of Chuck Joyner's shows a couple of years, maybe it was a year and a half ago, Dan Porhati was on and we were talking about the Mac and how it was gaining market share. And he, he had this completely polar view of the kind of the, 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 the place of the Mac in the market because he had been essentially living on a college campus for the previous three or four years. And and what he said was, oh, yeah, you know, the people that don't have Macs are the outcasts. You know, the, the Mac is the <laughs> norm on the campus. And it it, mm-hmm. it blew all of us, you know, quote unquote, old guys away. It certainly blew me away. It's like, oh, wow. Really? Huh? OK. I think the kids with PCs now are the kids mm-hmm. whose uh, parents bought them a laptop before they went off to college. Might be true. You know, the ones <laughs> that have the yeah. choice are buying the Macs. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the market share is for just laptops, but I imagine it's even better than than the overall Mac market share. And of course, that on college campuses, laptops rule. So, right. uh, yeah, it, it's it's whenever I go in any public place, university or not, uh, and and it's a, where a place where there's like a Wi-Fi network, and so you're seeing lots of laptops. I'd say ninety percent of them are, are Macs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's cool. Uh, all right, John, do you have any, uh, anything you want to, you want to ask them in general here before we start making them, uh, or asking them their, their favorite Mac tips or anything like that? You know, I was pondering this. Yeah. Let me toss this out to you guys. Cause you've all grown up with Apple. Um, I'm curious where, the, so one thing throughout your Apple history, was there ever a point that you were you know, kind of questioning your decision and, and knowing what you know now about what, what space Apple is occupying, where do you, uh, where do you think they, you see them going? You know, should they maintain what they're doing now, stay in consumer and, and, and all of that? The enterprise should, do you think they, they should give that another shot or um, just totally open here? Well, I'll start. I already pretty much answered that question. The only time I ever gave PCs a serious thought was in the 90s when it looked like the Mac might not survive. And uh, and it didn't go very far. Like I said, I had this gateway for about a year and then gave up on it. And, and when Steve Jobs uh, first came back to Apple, I, I wasn't immediately enthused because of the next operating system. I had actually been rooting uh, for for the BIOS, which was the other alternative to to become the OS, which actually can get back to the whole disaster of, of the actual Mac operating system at the time being insufficient to, to survive on its own, that they had to shop around for another operating system, which was making me, you know, roll my eyes and say, oh, this isn't going anywhere good when, when, when they're giving up on their own operating system. So it all looked really grim back there. Uh, and then, of course, it turned out that it wasn't so much the next operating system that was a great acquisition as it was getting Steve Jobs back as CEO, which I'm convinced turned everything around and changed the company and changed the whole future of the company. So um, that was that was the low point and the only point that I ever thought about getting, using a PC. As for where Apple should go, uh, I I would say it's, it's on exactly the right track. I don't think it should vary very much for, from what it's doing. I think staying consumer-oriented and, and doing what it's doing is working out just fine. The only – my major concern w- is, is what will happen when Steve leaves. I think – the company is in a much better shape to to continue the way it's going uh, with with, St- with Steve gone than it was the first time Steve left, uh, and I think it will continue to be a successful company after Steve leaves. I'm not I'm not uh, concerned about that, but I think Steve is special. You know, uh, no one disputes that, and he has the power to say if I want it done this way, this is the way it's going to be done, and he often has a very good idea as to how it should be done, and that's been behind a lot of the success the company has, and when he goes there isn't going to be somebody like him to replace him and uh i I worry a little bit about what two three four five years after he's gone how apple is going to look you know uh, uh, go ahead michael yeah okay so i was going to say that uh when i first uh became intrigued by the mac uh the the big draw obviously was the operating system and i kind of left this out of my history but i think the first time i actually personally used the mac os was when i uh, when they announced intel uh at uh, at a wwdc before they had any intel macs in the wild and so i actually installed uh, os 10 on my pc now, i spent a lot of time with the with the people who 
were working on getting OS 10 running on vanilla PCs. And I got that running. And I think that was before the Indigo iMac that I got. Uh, but again, the big draw was the operating system. And I always thought that there was a, a deep elegance and, uh, and usability uh, thoughtfulness that went into the uh, experience with OS 10 uh, that kind of carried over from my iPod, which of course was the first thing that I got before I even got a Mac. Uh, and so my big concern with what Apple's doing lately is I, I feel like they might be too fragmented. You know, they have the Mac OS and they have iOS, which, you know, encompasses a lot of different devices in, uh, a lot of different configurations. You know, you have the Apple TV and you have the iPad along with the iPhone and the iPod touch. And so I feel like that attention to detail is kind of drifting just simply because of everything that they're doing. And so I feel like there are more, um, bugs and little things that they don't notice as much as I feel like they used to. Adam or Pete, do you have any yeah, I, I share a lot of the same the same sentiment sentiments as far as, you know, had I ever questioned, you know, my decision to, to go with Mac. It's been interesting for me because the Mac sort of progressed along with how my life and career progressed. So, you know, when we were on Mac OS seven, eight, nine, I was in the top publishing industry and, and doing design stuff. And that was that was sort of the platform to be on. And then um as my career progressed, I started getting more and more because I was in, you know, pre press and layout. It kept getting people asking me, well, can you do websites and web pages? So as the internet was kind of growing up, um, I was transitioning and getting more and more into programming and the backend side of stuff. And it was right about that time when Apple switched to OS 10. So I gained the advantage of getting, you know, my SQL and Apache and PHP and, and Perl and all that stuff in the underpinnings of the operating system about the same time I was switching. So it's always just kind of worked out for me to be on the Mac platform and made a lot of sense from a lot of different angles. But um, I, I share some of uh, Michael's sentiments in terms of, you know, the future of Apple. I'm, I'm very happy to see the way that they're going and, and gaining market share and growing and expanding into other areas of the business. But I've talked about a lot on my show concerns of Apple starting to look like, Sony from the 80s, where Sony dominated in the consumer electronics space, but then started getting into, and I'm not real up on Sony's history, but it, the way it appears to me is they started getting into movies and film and, and a bunch of other areas and sort of branching out and expanding. And I see Apple doing some of the same things in, in a little bit different way, but you have things like iTunes. So in addition to all the things that Michael already mentioned in terms of the hardware and the splitting of the operating system, they're also dealing with having to deal with record labels and, and music deals and licensing and movies. And, and people often say, well, we'll Apple start its own studio for, for indie developers so they can feed iTunes movies. And I'm like, no, please don't do that. Cause I think that's what, you know, those distractions for that fragmentation has made them lose a little bit of attention to detail. And it feels to me, and again, it might just be perception, but you know, we're seeing more hardware things slip through. We get stuff like, you know, antenna gate, if you, you know, depending on where you fall on that. But the point is, is I don't remember in my history of Apple and Mac, Mac products um, hearing that many stories, as many stories as we do now about, you know, some of the issues. And that may just be changing times because we have access to blogs and Twitter and, you know, things that kind of feed into this. So I, it might be perception, but that's is an area of concern for me. 
Well, yeah, we've seen this before, but it was in the 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 days without Steve at the helm, right? I mean, the, the right. performance yeah. realm was, was it. You know, it <laughs> yeah. was it was, and, and I can't remember where I read this, but somewhere in the last twenty four hours, somebody equated that to okay, you know, it's like it's like Google is now, right? Where the the company's product line is being dictated by the engineers, and that's it. You know, we, we developed something cool. Great. Let's put it out there. Hey, we developed this other thing. Great. Let's put it out there. There's, there was no one kind of, you know, managing the gate there and saying, oh, no, no, no. You know, that that's great, but that's going to have to sit on the shelf for a little while because we're doing this other thing right now. It, it was if a product was even close to ready or maybe not even that close, uh, it came out, you know, and that was it. So, um, so yeah, I, I wonder, you're right. We are seeing some of that now. I mean, I, I don't think we're seeing nearly the, the extent of it that we saw back in the performa days. Um, and it wasn't just the performers, it was the quadras and the centrists mm-hmm. and the holy moly, you know, <laughs> yeah. 16 million models, uh, you know, which is what Sony did with their own products as well. But I, I, I don't, I don't think it's nearly as, as serious as, as, as needing to be worried about it right now. Yes. If Apple started its own movie studio or if Apple purchased Comcast, as I saw some people suggesting that they ought to do or might do the other day, uh, I, start to get worried but but what they're doing with itunes i think is you know itunes what is about a a decade old now and uh it it, uh you know it's a natural outgrowth of that i mean they they have to deal with the music industry and the movie industry for itunes to survive i don't think it really represents them saying oh let's get into something totally unrelated to what we're doing uh and so yeah i I think they've remained pretty focused and and if anything in some ways they're, they're trying to narrow the focus by getting mac os 10 and ios to convert in ways that sometimes makes me uncomfortable, but that's the direction they're headed. So, uh, right, I'm not, and the, I'm, I'm not too worried about. It. Let's, let's yeah, uh, and, go ahead, Adam, and then. And then sorry, I was yeah. just going to one one comment to add to that. Yeah, so the, the scaling back. I, I was one of the people that was a little bit happy to see that see you know them kind of scaling back on the on the enterprise side and the server side and saying, look, this this isn't ending up being a large part of our business. We're not going to make it totally go away. You know, we still have the server operating system and stuff like that, but you know, this piece of hardware, we're not, we're not going to do anymore. So I think we're going to see some of that too. And, and it might be a good thing, even though it's disappointing for some markets. So Ted, you mentioned, uh, you kind of touched on something that I wanted to to talk about here, which is, you know, the, the, the short term future of Apple. And I, I mean, the next three years, what, you know, and you touched on it by saying, OK, we're, we're seeing iOS and Mac OS converge where I, I want to kind of go around the horn. And, uh, and and John, I'll start with you since uh, since you and I have had this conversation a little bit, but not really. And uh, and then and then we'll just go around the horn. Where, where do you see Apple going uh, in the short term? What, what do you see happening significantly uh, in, in terms of changes to the product line? Obviously, we'll see some evolution, but uh, but any any significant changes from from our perspective? So. John? Uh, I'm going to come up with a wild one here. I don't know how much I believe it. I'll have to think about it more. Sorry, I was uh, wrestling with my computer. Uh, but we've got your sound flash. better, and you are sounding better. Yeah, yeah, your CPU is Yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my other mirror is still playing with Flash. But where do I see Apple going? All right, well, here's one thing. Um, so one, I'm one of the few uh, happy stock, well, no, uh, many happy stockholders. And actually, I bought some when I was questioning their existence. It was one of the few emotional buys that I made about 10 years ago, and I'm so glad I did. I think anybody who has some uh, 
one thing in the future, I'd like to see them split their stock maybe. But as far as the future of Apple, you know, I never thought I would see them grow as much as I've seen them grow in the consumer space. And I'm going to, I mean, they already crossed, I believe, a, a little while ago, a tipping point where the, the bulk of their revenue and income is in the uh, consumer entertainment space, shall I call it, which is the iDevices, so the iPod, iPod Touch. Um, I'm not quite sure where I put the iPad. But even though they had this event saying the Mac is back, I'm, you know, I'm going to see that slowly. I mean, the, I, I think it's feasible within three years. I, I don't know if they're going to totally ditch it. But I'm wondering what, what's going to come to replace it because, um, you know, the iDevices are on the bleeding edge and, and the, the hardware is still their bread and butter. I think maybe it's a third. Uh, I forget the figure, but it's, it's below a half. So it, there's definitely a trend there. Now, are they going to maintain that and just let the other part keep growing and growing and focus more attention, which some of you brought up. And that was kind of what, what I was getting at is that it seems they're, they're you know, they're, it's kind of the they're embarrassed by, you know, this thing that they need, but they don't know what to do with. So, um, I think we're, we're going to see a transformation. Maybe they're going to even streamline it further of what, what they're going to offer in the consumer space. Uh, maybe they're going to go from four. So one thing that you guys pointed out that I think is, is valid is, you know, back, I think it was like in the Scully and Emilio days is they literally had 500 products. You know, the Performa, you know, 630, 631. It's like, what do you need that all for? I think they may consolidate further. Huh. Uh, they're ready. We've already seen the first sign. The X server is gone. I mean, they do have a Mac Pro machine, which is equivalent, you know, not space wise. Uh, you know, it's not a rack mount. But um, I'm thinking that, that that sector may constrict further, that they may knock a couple of other configurations out of that. Like, you know, air I may be it. I think it's interesting that they did recently get rid of that server product because I feel like uh, the direction for Apple is moving more and more toward uh, server-based solutions because of, um, you know, we have our Macs, we have our iPhones, we have our iPads, we have all of these various things, but we want to keep each of them uh, personal, right? So our iPhone is very personal and we get to sync a lot of the stuff uh, to and from our Macs. You know, with MobileMe, I use MobileMe and very much enjoy the ability to have all of my bookmarks that I have on my Mac synced to and from my iPhone. Uh, same deal with contacts and calendars, of course. Um, but I feel like more of that uh, ubiquity of your own personal setup and data uh, is becoming more and more the the focus on on what apple does especially because everything is running the ios now or, or mac os i should say it's not running ios it's based on uh, mac os 10 um you know we and i think we're going to be seeing more and more integration you know john you mentioned the the media stuff and all the entertainment stuff and you see that obviously with the apple tv but i think one of the most uh, exciting things that apple introduced uh Obviously, like yesterday, I think it was, is the uh, the ability to stream video and music to that Apple TV from whatever device you have. So not only just your Mac, but you can also stream from your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, whatever device you have that has that iTunes on there. You know, it's kind of that, again, ubiquity through iTunes and OS X at the same time. Uh, but I think that Apple will... Um, We'll want to continue moving in that direction so that we have our 
personal data, the stuff that we want to have access to all the time on all of our devices. So we'll have uh, not only, you know, contacts and calendars and bookmarks and stuff like that, but documents and access to uh, more powerful resources like our desktops right from our phones. Of course, we can do that now with applications. Uh, but just having a, a giant happy circle of uh, the ability to do whatever we need to do on, uh, you know, specific devices with having and having all that data shared between all of that stuff. Yeah, I, th I think that there may be a, an almost paradigm shifting change coming. You know, I, th I think of it in terms of trying to come up with a metaphor here while you guys were talking. I think of it in terms maybe of photography and cameras. And there was a time when when digital, I mean, sorry, there was a time when single lens reflex cameras dominated the market. Uh, and there was a time when trying to take pictures, even with a relatively simple camera, could be a pretty daunting affair having to make all sorts of adjustments. And now the point and shoot cameras are pretty much it. There's still, there's st still are digital. So when I say digital, there still are single reflex cameras and they haven't gone away entirely. You can still buy them and they're still popular with a small percentage of the buyers. But the vast majority of people that use a camera today are using a point and shoot camera or they're using their iPhone as a point and shoot camera, which I see more and more or, or some other uh, mobile phone as, as a camera. And so there's been this great simplification uh, of camera taking, uh, picture taking with cameras that, uh, has changed the industry. And, and I think of the same thing in terms of the Mac in that you see this move towards the iOS uh, in Lion, Mac OS 10.7 that's coming. There's some iOS-like features coming in the App Store that's already going to be coming for the Mac before Lion ever ships. And some people say, well, this is the, this is the beginning of the end, that, that in a couple of years, uh, Mac is going to be like the iPhone and you're only going to be able to buy software from, from, the, uh, from the Mac App Store and so on. And then other people say, no, you know, you're chicken little, you're yelling that the sky is falling and people would never accept that sort of restrictions on the Mac. And, and I, I actually think that the answer may be somewhere in between that, much like the photography example. I think it's entirely possible that within a few years, I don't know, two years, three years is probably too short, maybe more a window, like four or five years, that the majority of people buying and using computers will accept iPhone-like restrictions on the computer in the same way that, that most people taking pictures with cameras today accept the restrictions of a point-and-shoot camera. And yes, for, for the people who want something more, the, the Apple will still offer it in the same way that that Canon still still sells a, a single lens reflex camera for those that want it. But those those make up the the minority of sales. Yeah, and additionally, on the I'm going to make one more prediction on the three-year time frame is that. Uh, um, a lot of the guys I'm with, I work with uh, flying the airplanes uh, are, are making the iPad their, uh, their road machine as best they can. And I find it too restrictive because I do some website development, that sort of thing, and I just can't do that with the iPad yet. But, boy, the MacBook Air goes a long way towards meeting that need, being close to an iPad. And I don't know if they'll figure out a way to, you know, flop the uh, screen over. I, I know I've seen the technology elsewhere before but if they'll go to an ipad type machine when you need it and a full-on laptop when you need it somewhere along those lines but uh they seem to be meeting that that consumer niche pretty well and and those things are getting uh scooped up I, i've already seen uh, probably a dozen macbook airs in in the wow. in the last month yeah mm. the guys are just jumping all over that thing that and the ipad and uh, a lot of guys see me with an ipad oh, what do you think of it 
and I show them all the things I can do with it, particularly with regards to uh, uh, being able to put all our flight manuals and charts and that sort of thing on it. And their eyes just practically bulge out of their head. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had guys come back. Oh, I've got, I got one. You know, after you wow. showed me what it could do, I went and got one. So I'll, I'll take the commission now, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're doing a nice job of meeting that niche. And I think I think they're going uh, to, as it was mentioned, we're looking at the, uh, there are going to be some restrictions on what you can get on there and what and what you can't. But there seems to be, they do meet, do a nice job of meeting, uh, well, do you want iPhoto uh, or do you want Aperture? So there is some pro prosumer and some uh, basic consumer level uh, software there. Um, and, and it seems to me the all, outside all, operator is always going to be able to, to get in there. I mean, I, I have a jailbroken iPhone. <laughs> so, yeah. so for those of us that want to continue to reach out beyond what Apple offers, I think that, that will, there will always be a market for that as well. You know, it's interesting what you're saying about the MacBook Air and the iPad. I have both of them. And when I got the Air and I started reading things about some people saying, well, this is it. This is what uh, you know, going to get me to replace my iPad. And, and now I can have a MacBook Air, which is almost the same thing. And I haven't had quite that experience. The, the, I, almost, I hesitate saying this. It seems a little bit weird. But, but the, the, the thing that I find that I most miss in the, in the MacBook Air are exactly the iPad apps. There are a lot of apps that I really love using on the iPad. And and you, of course you can't run apps on the MacBook Air, and so the MacBook Air remains for me a very good, very lightweight, portable, whatever Mac. But it isn't for me a substitute for the iPad. And the, most of the time, when I unless I absolutely need to do a lot of typing or use an application, you know, like Photoshop or something that isn't available on the iPad, if I just want a quick portable device, I'm still grabbing the iPad over the air. Yeah, it, it, that's interesting. And I, I, I wonder if we're going to see, and I, I said this on a couple episodes ago uh, on a show, but I, I think, you know, there will be a device, and I'm not sure if it's going to be the iPad Pro or the MacBook Air Sans keyboard or something. But, you know, if you look at what 10.7 can do, you've got the opportunity to go into windowed mode, which is essentially what we know as Mac OS X now, or the opportunity to switch to full screen mode, which is more similar to what we're doing on our, you know, touch devices, our iOS devices on the iPad in particular. So, you know, if if we get Mac OS X 7 that allows this semi seamless switching between full screen and windowed mode, well, what if that happens you know, when I'm out and about, I've got this touchscreen thing that essentially looks like an iPad and I can run all my iPad apps on it and do all of that that I want to do. And then when I get back to the office or I get to my hotel room and I plug in a keyboard, now I switch over to windowed mode and I have the ability to do all of that stuff, too. I, you know, there's there's the, the there's not just um framework differences between the two devices but obviously there's user usability differences between the two but but i think that can be that can be merged into one now we're going to need a faster processor and and we're going to need to wait until some of that stuff catches up uh you know battery life uh, i guess it's pretty good on the ipad but maybe not with a faster processor so you know we're, we've got to find this happy medium and maybe in three years we will have that I, yeah, yeah. In the same vein, the idea that that I like for a sort of iPad Pro or combined MacBook Air and Pro would be where you have essentially what looks like a MacBook Air. You open it up, works like a MacBook Air, but then you can take the display part, give it a 180 degree turn close it so now the display is even though it's closed, the display is facing up, right. and at that point it becomes an iPad. Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Some some form factor thing that just makes that work. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. You know, Ted, the, I had actually tossed that out and was met with with vigorous opposition when um, I forget it was Mac Jerry or Mac uh, Roundtable. But I was almost expecting when it, before they came out with the air. What, one of the things that I thought was, "Ooh, wouldn't this be a showstopper? It, it's an air, but it's running iOS. And everybody was like, no, 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 no. Couldn't possibly happen. I'm like, well, think about it a little bit. Well, I think it couldn't there's possibly- going to be a convergence. So, so I think yeah. you're suggesting that. And yeah. I think I, I was just pulling that out of thin air and thinking, well, what if? And it's like, you know, that's not too crazy that it's not with 10 seven. Oh, that's real close no. yeah. yeah i mean i do i think they were right that it wasn't going to happen this year but i think something like that could very well happen eventually yeah all right uh we this is of course the the mac geek Cab, and so we want to add some geeky little tidbits and i've asked each of the guys to prep their favorite mac uh tips and tricks and i'm gonna let them kind of pull those together as we uh, as we play a couple of comments from other fellow podcasters that aren't here with us, but uh, but sent their thoughts along. And so we'll play those. Uh, we've got we've got two. And and then once those two are done, then we'll uh, we'll we'll pass around the hat and, and share our favorite Mac tips and, and tricks. Hey, Dave. Hey, John. It's Jeff Gamut. And I couldn't let your 300th episode go by without congratulating you. So congratulations to both of you. I consider myself incredibly lucky to get to work with the two of you and absolutely love the show. I can't wait till episode 600 rolls around. So, yeah, where's the cake? <laughs> hey, Geek Gab listeners, it's Guy. And Gaz, the G-Men from the MyMac.com podcast. And we just wanted to say congratulations to the second best Mac podcast out there. <laughs> second best? <laughs> Why second best? Well, they have no G's. Guy, Gaz, the G-Men, obviously having more G's means we're better. But they're the Mac Geek Gab. That's two G's right there. Wow. Way to be a major buzzkill, Gaz. Guy, seriously, (laughs) seek help. Seek help? I don't need to. It's right there in the OS X menu bar. (sighs) All kidding aside, Dave and John... Oh, is that John and Dave? 300 podcasts is a major milestone, and the MyMac crew wishes you all the success in the world. Keep it up. And, and don't, don't get, get caught. caught. Don't get caught. <laughs> don't get caught. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, Guy and Gaz and, uh, and Jeff. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, so going to, uh, going to you, Adam, you've been, you've been silent the longest here. Uh, so, so you're, you're Just been fa- hanging back. That's okay. That's hey, That's all right. That's okay. Uh, you, you said plenty early on. It was just, you just had a nice little break there. So, uh, so coming to you, your favorite Mac tip, your favorite Mac app, just so, something to share with the, uh, with the listeners here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's it's my favorite tip. A couple things that I've been um, I've been trying to do and work with more often. Something I, I recommend to a lot of people um, is if you're new to the Mac or, or even if you've been a Mac user for a long time, um, use the learning to use expose a lot more to kind of navigate and, and get around. Um, I think a lot of especially older people who are used to the old way of doing things on the Mac. We, we resist change. And, uh, I know for my workflow, just getting familiar with the different commands. And I actually, I have to, I have to do them old school. So I remap them uh, back to the F nine, F 10 and F 11 keys. 
<laughs> I don't know if you guys do that rather than use that new fancy uh, expose key on the keyboard. But when I need to, you know, get between a bunch of open windows or drag and drop stuff between the finder and some application, I'm constantly. You're, cut, you're, cut, you're cutting out there, Adam. Hang on. Uh, let's see. I, I'm not sure if that's on your end or on mine, but go ahead and. Uh, and, and <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's not on my end. I, I don't check. think it is. Okay. Uh, Adam, Adam just talks like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Cylon in real life. That's right. That's right. I don't know what you heard or what you didn't hear. We heard most of it. I stopped you as soon constantly. as it got as soon as it got got choppy. I stopped you. So yeah, okay. So you know, I use that for just quickly getting files between Windows, and then also I guess along with that, um, using spring loaded folders to move stuff around. And I just, I just find that an easier way to go. I know a lot of people, you know, are juggling windows and things like that. And I just, I, I see that and I go, you know, if you just use expose, expose, you could grab a file, hold on to it, hit expose and then move it where you need to move it with dragging it down into the docker into another window. So, so that's one of my little tips that I, I like to give people. That's a good time. I got to remember expose. I, I the only time I use it or the only time I remember to use it is when I know that conflict resolver uh, for mobile me sync is is lurking somewhere. But I know it's behind a window. And that's when I hit the, the what's usually behind F3 where it shows all windows and then I can find conflict resolver and bring it forward. Otherwise, I, I never even think to use expose. And, and the use case you just described is perfect where you're trying to drag a file somewhere. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Really handy. And, and the one that's somewhat related to that is also um, one that is in Mac OS 10. It's been there for a while, but uh, I don't know if, if you guys here use the media browser very much. You know, the, the built in and there's a couple of areas where it, where it pops up. Um, but if you're not paying attention or not looking for it, I use it a lot in, in GarageBand when I'm doing my podcast because I have audio files and I have artwork that I need to, to get access to. And you have that media browser in the, you know, hand side. And I think all iLife apps share that single media browser. And that's the thing to go find stuff from your iTunes library or your iPhoto library. Um, and you can just open that up and, and grab things. And another tip that took me a while to figure was that you can drag your own folders into that. So in the case of GarageBand, I'll have it up, but I have Mart specific for my show, I just drag the folder in when I set up my project to drag a folder of images in there and boom, it's right there in that window. And I don't have to go back out to the finder and go searching for things. And same thing from the, you know, file open dialogue. I often forget, you know, we're in that right column. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom, it, depending on what kind of application you're in, if it's an imaging application and it's, it's a Cocoa app, you know, you'll have access to everything in your iPhoto library. And I think I, I don't use Aperture, but I believe Aperture libraries also show up in that in that media browser. So rather than hunting and pecking around in the finder and trying to go, you know, locate something or having to open up iPhoto and drag a photo out into another app, just use that media browser. Don't forget it's there. And I, I just forget it's there a lot of the time. Good. Great hints. All right. Uh, Michael, you're next. Okay, do you want me to uh, give one tip and then we'll go around, or should I dump a whole bunch of them? Uh, you know, give one and we'll go around. I know Adam just dumped a whole bunch on us, but yeah, give one and we'll, we'll <laughs> Sorry. Kind of bounce. That's all right, man. It's, it's you know, you're, you're used to ignoring me. It's fine. <laughs> all right. So uh, my uh, number one tip is uh, tinkering. 
with the Mac. So like I said, my first, uh, access and experience with the Mac was uh, running OS X 86 as it became uh, known to be called, uh, you know, putting OS 10 on an Intel Mac uh, afforded me a lot of opportunities to uh, tinker with a lot of things because a lot of just setting that kind of thing up was, you know, really hacky. And I had to learn a lot about uh, how Mac OS 10 worked. And it really gave me a, a solid understanding of, uh, of how things interact with each other on the Mac. So such as uh, the fact that applications are actually folders. So if you right click on one, you click on show contents, you can see all the stuff that makes up an application or uh, property lists, um, you know, really make up all the configurations on your Mac. So you can go into your uh, user library tweak something or if you're if you're having a problem you can delete it and also you know learning about permissions and and how those affect various things on the mac so i would say my number one tip for uh, mac users is to tinker around to play with things maybe create a second user folder user account so you can play around and, and see how things work and then you'll get a much better understanding of how the Mac works and then you can, you know, troubleshoot more easily and also just get a, a more specific uh, use out of your Mac and just, you know, become more productive hopefully. Cool. All right, Ted? Uh, one of the most common things that I do on a Mac is, or multiple Macs really, is transfer files around. I want to get something from my Mac to my iPhone or from my desktop Mac to my MacBook Air, or I want to give something to my wife on her computer. And in the past, I would do various things. I would try file sharing and mount someone else's computer on my computer and transfer it that way, or or go through uh, email. I would even wind up emailing my wife, even though she's, she's on a computer six feet away from me. I would email her a message because that would be the quickest way for me to get something to her. I've pretty much dropped all that in favor of Dropbox. Uh, there are a couple of other similar competitors. If you have MobileMe, you could even use MobileMe to some extent like this, but I still, I love Dropbox. And, and the neat thing that it does is you don't have to worry about any other of the computing devices that you have set up to work with Dropbox. If I want to get some device to anything, I, uh, and say I'm sitting on my desktop Mac, I just drag the file from, say, whatever my desktop, or uh, and drag the file to the Dropbox folder, and the Dropbox folder is conveniently listed uh, in the Places sidebar in any Finder window. Uh, you can access it from the menu bar item as well. And once it's there, it's accessible anywhere. Later in the day, if I am on my iPhone and I want to check that file, it's there through the Dropbox app on my iPhone. Later in the day, if my wife wants to get it, it's there for her to use. Uh, and so one drop and it's everywhere. And it's just absolutely the best thing ever for file sharing. Not to mention that, um, that it's also a great sort of um, emergency backup because once it's on Dropbox, if it's, you know, in the worst possible disaster, if your house suddenly exploded and everything in your house disappeared, the, the copy that you put on Dropbox would still be there because it's on a server someplace else. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's, it's good from, from, from that perspective as well. Uh, and you can even, you can even um, work on a document from Dropbox. So if, if, you, if you wanted to do something uh, where you were working on, say, some word processing document and you didn't want to have to worry about copying it back to Dropbox and out and back and forth when you're done, you can actually open the copy within Dropbox itself and modify that copy and any changes that you make are instantly available to everyone else who has it on Dropbox. Yeah, and if you uh, delete a file from Dropbox, you can get it back for 30 days. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's, yeah, and speaking of deleting files, about the only the major new the major thing I'd like Dropbox to be able to do is I is that when you copy something to the Dropbox folder, say from your desktop to the Dropbox folder, it moves it rather than copies it, and so it it disappears from from your desktop. And I'm used to the idea of thinking of Dropbox more like a separate server than a folder. I mean, in other words, it works the way a folder. If you have one two folders on your desktop and you drag something from one folder to the other, it moves from that folder to the other folder. But but if you drag something from one computer to another, uh, the the original copy stays, and, and a new copy is made on the destination. And I and I'd actually like Dropbox to work that way because there are times, if I'm not careful, that I drag the copy to Dropbox and I forget that I no longer have a computer uh, have a copy locally on my hard drive anymore. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, mm. you know that's actually the thing I like about mm. Dropbox, but mm. simply because it it. Um, it, it, because I, I actually store all my documents right on Dropbox. So I, my Dropbox folder is my documents folder. It contains my mm. documents folder. So so I, And I was trying to do the same thing with MobileMe, but it was very frustrating because when I would drag something from my desktop to my documents folder, it would copy um, – or to my iDisk, rather. It would copy mm-hmm. it as opposed to just moving it, like you said. But, yeah, I get it. If you're, It depends on your use case. If you're using it the way you are, then, then yep. Makes makes good sense. Makes good. And sense. I like well, to remember. <laughs> I was going to say if you if you lose your internet connection and the only place you have a copy is on Dropbox and you've temporarily at least lost access to all those documents. Not true. Because oh, got- you can. Oh, you that's right. Dropbox can maintain a local copy as well. That's true. That's yeah. what I hadn't thought about. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Yeah. Good and point. I, uh, I just wanted to pop in with another tip. It's not as useful as uh, Dropbox, but you were talking about sharing files between people on a local network. And, and I find that Bonjour in iChat is incredibly useful for that. I don't know if you guys even remember that Bonjour exists in there, but you can pop in and whoever's on the local network, you can actually mm. message with them without having to worry about a buddy list or anything like that and just drag and drop a file right to their name. That can be fun at trade shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, one. Oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, could I get reverb, Dave? Dave? Yes, yes. Reverb, John. Go. Finder with tabs. All right. And okay. how are you getting Give the finder with tabs, John? Well, as I'm sure most of my colleagues know, but if you don't, Total Finder. Oh my gosh! Just like Dave would go on and on and on about iChat with tabs. <laughs> 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 I remember, and it was a valid concern. It's like Apple is so good at making you know software that's easy to use, and and it looks nice, and it works great. And you know, I was an iChat junkie for a while. Of course, most of that is you know moved over to Twitter, but still, it was like, why can't you guys figure out this simple little thing and the same sort of thing? So, Total Finder is something that I think all of us have. Uh, I wrote an article on it. I think uh, uh, other of you have commented on it, but it is what I think the Finder should be. The the Finder I think is probably is. Not the greatest because I like Total Finder better, but but it's a really good way to mask the the horror that is the Unix file system, and and give you a nice way to access it. But there was always these things where I felt like I was taking two steps backwards and like, well, I want to copy from this window to that window or this directory to that directory, and I got to open up two windows. That's stupid. Why not just and. That's what Total Finder does, in addition to a number of other things. But it, it is the one thing as of late that has really changed uh, how I use the Finder and how I navigate around my system and just do things a lot quicker than I than I used to. And, and to me, it's just a natural 
evolution of of where the OS should go is is tabs. I mean, you got them, you know, in Safari or any ma- major browser. Why not in the Finder? Because it really does help you get your job done. At least it does with me. So that that's uh, that gets my vote. Cool. Wow. I got I got to check out Total Finder. I have not yet, but everybody says great things. So I got to check. I'm out. a you know I gotta I gotta I gotta throw in a, a mention. Or, um, Pathfinder, and I'll, I'll disclose Pathfinder is a sponsor of my show, but I've been a Pathfinder user for a long time. Actually, Tim Verporten, who's another podcast, Mac podcaster, um, does Mac Review Cast, and he's on the Mac Roundtable, turned me on to it years ago. I think at the very first uh, podcast expo. Mm. Um, I didn't know about it, and it has all those great advanced features like tabs and, and you know, single window stuff and so now that's is worth it checking out too? Is it in a sense of because I think Total Finder is also a replacement, and that when you're running that, you're it, well, yep. they, they do it a little differently. They're they're I think using a plugin architecture on Finder, so you're kind of running Finder, but they, uh. they, they add some useful features. I don't know. If Pat, I, I think Pathfinder is kind of a replacement, right? It's a, like more like a replacement, yeah. Okay, so maybe a different approach, but worth looking into i like the i don't know if the total finder has an integrated terminal but you know because i have that programming background mm. having an integrated you know access to the shell in the finder as well is a really cool feature at least for me cool all right as, as long as you're talking tabs i got a segue into that then that's one of my tips which yep. is uh, cool. and, and I, I don't know if it works with uh, finder with tabs but it, it definitely works with uh Firefox and Safari and that sort of thing. And I'm one of those guys, I hate to use the trackpad or the mouse, use it as little as possible. So a keyboard shortcut on that is to hold down the control key and then the tab key, and that will switch you between tabs without having to go point to it with the mouse. Uh, As you know, the command tab takes you between various windows, various programs, but the control tab uh, will take you between tabs within the same program. Huh. Cool. All right. Uh, okay, we'll do. Uh, we're 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 well past our normal hour time time slot here, but uh, but let's let's go around one more time. If if anybody has one more tip they want to share, we'll do that, and then uh, and then we'll wrap things up and uh, and we'll take it from there. So uh, so uh, Ted, uh, I'll, I'll do three really quick things. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, one which, since I'm troubleshooting, just two really quick, two really basic troubleshooting things. One is when anything is going wrong with your computer and you can't fix it, restart. It's yes. amazing to me how many how many people just never think of doing that. And the second thing, which I don't have to discuss because I think everyone listening knows it, is make sure you have a backup. There's nothing that can go wrong with your computer that will be disastrous if your stuff is backed up someplace else. Uh, and the third thing, just some something that I use all the time, uh, which hopefully most people are aware of, but if not, they should, is is the option in Safari to reopen all the windows that you had open the last time you used it before you quit. Because uh, if you're the type of person, and my wife is much more sinful in that regard than I am, she has like 100 Windows tabs and things open at one time. And if Safari crashes or you have to quit it because you need to restart your Mac or something, uh, the fastest way to get back to where you left it is to use that uh, reopen all Windows command. Cool. All right. You know, and I realized as you were talking there, Ted, and, and sharing this wisdom with us, 
that mm. I, I never really gave our perspective for for why you were an important member of the uh, of the Mac community to us. Uh, and it's because to me, it's so obvious. But uh, but I did it for everyone else. And, and so I wanted to say that, you know, you starting Mac Fix It and then, of course, going on to do the Mac 9-11 column and all of that really paved the way. And, and you were one of the pioneers of doing but essentially what we do now where we're helping people answer their questions and sharing tips and, 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 and just, you know, enhancing people's ability to use their own computers. So, so thank you for being, for being there for us back then and also for being an inspiration for, for what we do now. So. Well, well, thank you for saying that. And, and if, if I don't remember to say it later, congratulations again on this being your 300th episode. And I still, I'll just throw in, I still remember, I might not have been the first time I met you, but, but the one that I remember the most is years ago when I was doing McFixit, uh, and, and you were, I guess, were doing the Mac Observer at the time, was that uh, the dinner, lunch, whatever it was that we had at Tribeca in New York at a Macworld Expo for that advertising yeah. company that we were with at the time, which I'll leave nameless. But anyway, yeah, that, that was a fun time. That was. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Adam, uh, you're you. I know you've already blasted us with three <laughs> tips, but that's OK. You, if you have I'll, anything I'll, left on the list, we'd love to hear it. I'll do it. Well, I, I didn't. And I was trying to think of something. And then I looked down in front of me and noticed I'll do a product okay. um, that I have been using for years. And I just forget about because it's just the it's the very anytime I buy a new notebook, I buy this product. It's actually two products. And it's the Radtech screen savers which is just a, a cloth that sits between your keyboard and your display so that it doesn't get smudged up and stuff like that. And along with the sleeve and that goes over the outside of your notebook and they have them in all different sizes and colors and stuff like that. And what it does is just protects your Mac. And I'm, you know, probably like a lot of Mac and Apple fans. I don't want scratches or any little dings or anything on my, you know, on my cases or my screen. And so I use those. Uh, what's great about the sleeve is and it's made out of this material. They call it Optitech. It's this kind of really nice chamois style stuff and you can use it to wipe your screen but then it also protects your uh, notebook and i have like a white ibook g4 that i love and it's got a dead logic board now but the case is pristine i mean you pull it out and it has had a sleeve on it since the very beginning so every laptop i've ever bought since then it's both of these on it so cool all right recommendation for that michael Okay, I'm going to whip through a whole bunch of them. So, uh, first one uh, on the <laughs> on the lines of uh, uh, expose and whatnot. Better touch tool is wonderful if you have a magic mouse. You can add all of those multi-touch gestures to your magic mouse with better touch tool. Uh, Pacifist is wonderful for rooting around in install uh, packages. I'm sure you guys have talked about on the Mac Geek Cab, so you can pull uh, specific things out of install packages. Uh, the secrets. PrefPane uh, is wonderful for tweaking with tweaking, uh, you know, secret property list things. So that's a PrefPane that you can uh, put in your settings and, you know, tweak stuff from there. Um, but uh, let's see, what else do I have? Target disk mode is wonderful. Booting up your computer with uh, the option key held down lets you choose from CDs, hard drives, anything you have attached to it. Um and I would also say uh, using the command line is something you should definitely look into. If you want to get geekier with the Mac, you can do a lot of troubleshooting and help out your computer uh, if you know how to use the command line. And finally, uh, one of my favorite newer tips, I think, was introduced with 
leopard is if you go to the help menu, the help menu is so much more useful now. If you go to click on help, there's a little search there. It's just like spotlight, but it's for everything in the menu bar. So especially if you use stuff like Photoshop with, that has a million menus, you're looking for that one thing. You can't remember how, you know, which menu it's under and which sub menu it's under. Just start typing and uh, arrow down and then a giant blue uh, tab will float exactly to the uh, the menu item you're looking for. It shows you the uh, keyboard shortcuts. You can use it again later, but it's just very useful. So check out that help menu. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, all right, Ted, Adam, Michael, uh, Pete, do you have anything? I do. I, do. I have uh, to remind people that in Finder, you can uh, take any application excuse me, any application and drag it up into the uh, toolbar on the overhead. So you're frequently useful. Well, that's like the dock people say, well, that's true. It is kind of like the dock. But if you're in Finder, what I do, and I'll be happy to make this available. Um, and so one of the things that I missed from Windows is being able to be in Explorer and select four or five files and rename them, say, sequentially or something like that. So I wrote a little automator script, saved it as an application, and then dragged that application up into my toolbar for Finder, so I can now go in and select a half a dozen files, and it works best when I'm bringing in, say, photos from a camera, and they're all named uh, DSC underscore thirteen forty five, thirteen forty six, etc. And then I can say, okay, well, this is Disney World one, two, three, four, etc. So yeah, all I have to do is select those files, click that little icon, and it comes up and says, yeah, what do you want to name them? Type it in, and it renames them. And I'll be happy to make that available for them. All right, cool, cool. I'll, I'll pile on real quick. Uh, yeah, Time Machine is a good one to put up there. Oh, yeah, because you have to be in context of the the thing that you want to search through. So you can have it right there and go go to the place where the file you're missing isn't there anymore and just hit the time machine. And then you're already in the right spot. That's That's a great. So you go to initially you're going to go to applications and drag the time machine app to the finder uh, bar and then you leave it there. And whenever you need it, boom, there you go. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, that's awesome. Ah. I want a dog pile. Yeah, John. Of course. Yeah, go. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, I love Time Machine. The only thing I hate about it is the way it's set up uh, by default. In, the, in my opinion, especially if you're on a laptop and you're using Wi-Fi to do the backup, it can start chomping on your processor and your bandwidth. So the thing that I'd like is Time Machine Editor. And personally, what I so what, what this does is normally I think the frequency of backups with time machine is every hour i think yes yeah okay yeah. The, to me that's that's way too often because you know i mean even though i'm changing things you know when i'm using the machine it, uh, the resource uh, you know and this may change in the future but time machine editor is a program that kind of sidesteps time machine in that it's actually off when you look at it but you can set the schedule to something that is different from the hourly thing and actually personally i set it to four hours so I have it do it, you know, six in the morning, 10 in the morning, two in the afternoon. And, and I find that's often enough to capture what I'm doing, but not so often that it brings the machine to a drag. Because it really does sometimes, especially, again, if you're on a portable. So Time Machine Editor is a nice little hack that I think makes the uh, Time Machine experience more uh, pleasant. And hopefully Apple will let you tune that yourself someday. That would be nice. I doubt it, but that would be nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we did get one from the room, and it's it's something I, I think we mentioned in a Cool Stuff Found show, so I'll, I'll wrap up with that. And that's something called Size Up. Uh, it's an app. It it sits in your um, in your menu bar, and uh, or it kind of sits in the background. And you can have different key commands, different keystrokes 
four different actions. And the actions are along the lines of where I want to put my window and how I want to have it uh, aligned. So one of the things that drives me crazy is as I open new Safari windows and I'm resizing them, when I go to open another one, it goes to the size of the last window that I messed with. And the problem with that is, no, I want a window. Maybe I want it, you know, right aligned with my screen. I want it to take the full height of the screen and half the width. Well, I've set a keystroke in size up to do all of that for me. So I pop up a new Safari window. It doesn't matter. I held down control option command and right arrow. And it takes whatever the frontmost window is and pops it over to the right and real, you know, resizes it. I can do the same with, you know, up, down, left, whatever. It, it's it's awesome. So it's called uh, it's called size up. So that's 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 my addition to this. But really, it comes from the from the chat room. All right. And that is it. Uh, I want to go around the room so that uh, people, uh, everyone here can explain again who you are and how to contact you, your Twitter handle, uh, your website, whatever, whatever it is you want to uh, pimp for yourself. Go ahead and do it. So, Ted, we'll start with you. We'll go Ted, Adam, uh, Michael, Pete, and then John and I will wrap things up and get this out of here. Yeah, uh, as you said, I founded McFixit years ago, in addition to what we talked about before. Wrote a couple of books uh, that are not in publication now, so I won't even mention them. And as far as Twitter is concerned, uh, you can find me at my name, Ted Landau. Awesome. Adam? Adam Christensen, you can find me at the MacCast. It's a podcast I do every week. I also recently launched a membership program, so if you want even more content, you can sign up for that. That's at member.maccast.com. The regular show is just at maccast.com or on iTunes. You can just search for MacCast and on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash maccast. Awesome. Uh- Yep, and again, uh, I do. Uh, we have communicators. It's a roundtable show uh, about all things iPhone. We talk about current iPhone and iPad and iPod Touch news. We also talk about tips and stuff. I actually do it with Adam Christensen most times, uh, as well as Jeff Gamut, who you heard from earlier. Uh, my Twitter is twitter.com/slash Michael Johnston, um, and I also do the stuff, the uh, the chapters, the enhanced stuff for the Matt Geek Gap. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Pete. Yeah, Pilot Pete, uh, the moniker given to me by Dave. Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete. Uh, and uh, I'm a stalker extraordinaire and can be found in the uh, skies uh, all over the world. But uh, <laughs> uh, glad to be here. Thank you. All right. And if you want to uh, find us, uh, that is the rest of us here, I am uh, Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. John is Twitter.com slash John F. Braun. Of course, Mac Geek Gab is on Twitter. Uh, that's where you find out about all the updates about the show. And Mac Observer is where you find all the updates from TMO. If you want to send a question, comment, tip, screenshot, whatever it is, into us, you can email that to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Dave, you know what? Somebody actually did this, and I'm so happy. So I believe you said feedback at macgeekgab.com, but somebody actually emailed us a cupcake. Yes, that's right. We Thank asked, you for the and cupcake. they did it. Right. it. It was very good. That's right. Or you yes. can call us. You can call us. What's the number, John? Well, I think so, though I hear audio breakup here, but hopefully you can hear me say 206-666-GEEK, which is, Dave? 4335. Uh, you can Skype us to MacGeekGab, and uh, and I think that's that. As as always, we do want to thank, I, I want to thank all of you for coming on board uh, for this. Uh, Ted oh, Landau, absolutely. Adam Christensen, Pilot Pete, and of course, Michael Johnston, who converts this show to AAC for, for us and for you every week. And really, I want to thank all of our listeners here. Uh, we 
we couldn't and would not have done 300 shows without uh, you, your your interest, your support, uh, your subscription. All of that stuff really uh, is is the thing that keeps keeps us doing what we do. The bandwidth, of course, comes from Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. The podcast marketplace for this month has some uh, has some of our great sponsors. And oh, the vamp ran out. I got to fix that. I got to start using like different pieces of software for that. But anyway, our podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, the Ojimbo from Barebone Software, Disc Label from Smile and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, that's it. We've gone far over our allotted time, but that was good. It was fun. Again, thanks for 300, folks. This was... Uh, every every 100 shows will we'll cut loose. That's right. Wait a minute. Don't we do that every week? <laughs> cut loose? Do we? I think so.